From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, and welcome to another edition of LPL Market Signals. My name is Lawrence Gillum, fixed income strategist here on the LPL research team, and I'm your host today, and I can't think of a better person to join me today than our chief economist, Dr. Jeffrey Roach. So we're recording this podcast on September 13th, and after today's higher than expected inflation report, we're lucky to have Jeff here to talk through and, and dig deeper into today's inflation report. So with that, Jeff, how are you doing today? I know you're extremely busy, so thanks for uh, taking the time. Yeah, you're welcome, Lawrence. And um, it is a, a nice morning. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a good morning to you uh, because of the uh, the frustratingly uh, high August inflation report we got. Uh, we can talk more about that. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy this morning. Yeah, and that's that's really all we're going to talk about today is inflation, inflation, inflation. Today's uh, CPI report was much higher than uh, a lot of folks expected. Markets obviously did not uh, react positively to the higher than uh, expected inflation report. So we're going to dig into, into the inflation report a, a little bit more deeply uh, as we go through this podcast. And then importantly, talk about what the Fed is going to do after today's report. Kind of how is that? How has their reaction function changed? And then, you know, with the sixty-four thousand dollar question, is a softish landing still a realistic possibility given uh, what the Fed is likely to do, and given the the higher than uh, expected inflation report? So, with that, why don't we just go ahead and jump right in? Um, so, Jeff, we did see higher than uh, higher than expected inflation reports today. Uh, the both the headline and the core were above analyst expectations. Kind of what was your your first impression of today's reports? Yeah, so it's, Lawrence, just um, this is uh, for those special uh, listeners and watchers of our podcast. They know now what we do behind the scenes. So, you know, typically on a on an early uh, exciting morning like this, uh, also on those Friday job reports mornings, you know, you get up, you get your spreadsheets ready, you get your coffee ready, you get Bloomberg's ready. Uh, also, always go. This is this is me just personally. I always go to the government websites, making sure that uh, we're getting all the information as 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 you know as clearly and quickly as possible. Well, and the first thing that, that hit me when I was when I was reading the report right on the BLS website this morning uh, was uh, you know really kind of the the confusing a little bit confusing report in the sense that. You had airfare down. You had used car prices down. You had some components, you know, off off their highs. But on the other side, you had uh, meat prices, chicken, fish, you know, dairy. Uh, also, of course, rents, which is very, very uh, important uh, to track. You know, you had some uh, furniture, some of those uh, components. So, you know, you had the the headline numbers we're showing right here in the graph. Headline is is clearly past peak, you know, the dark blue line. Um, but, you know, when you drill into the details, what what struck me, and just, just to be honest with you, I'm, I'm going to actually talk a little bit more in depth on this in the Econ Market Minute podcast, but it, what strikes me is the fact that this post-COVID environment particularly hurts the lower income families in this country. Uh, food prices, rent prices up, clearly hits uh, lower income more. Uh, that's that. That was kind of the first takeaway that I had as I'm reading this report. What does it What does it mean? How is it going to feel? And uh, that's that's why that's my first of many takeaways. Yeah, unfortunately, there isn't a lot that the Fed can do to arrest those higher food prices, those higher 
uh, rent prices for, for the most part. Uh, and we're going to talk about kind of the Fed's reaction function in, in just a second. But uh, we did see if there is a slight glimmer of hope, we did see that the, the you know, the, the broadest measures of inflation have, have started to kind of roll over. So not as many uh, uh, price increases compared to last last month. Uh, again, just a small glimmer of hope, but the, these inflationary pressures are still very broad-based uh, and still uh, hitting a lot of the different categories. Uh, so the, the Fed is really kind of stuck in this hiking cycle until a lot of this inflation data rolls over. Yeah, it's, it is a services-led type of problem right now, though. So, you know, I think generally speaking, it's those durable goods are still off-peak, that, and that's fair to say, but it, it is services. So it's medical services. It's even some of the recreational prices. But but food food is what makes me nervous. The other thing that I, that I got out of the report, I didn't mention this earlier, was, you know, electricity prices, natural gas prices, you know, clearly the decline in gas prices at the pump could be in the near term, you know, on the positive side for consumer confidence. But electricity prices, that's definitely going to show up as we go into the winter months. All right. So markets obviously did not react well to the the report today. Coming in right before the report, we had yields lower, uh, equity futures higher. A minute after the report posted, yields gapped higher. Equity prices really were were down uh, quite significantly, and at the time of this recording, are still down pretty significantly. Uh, you know, what's interesting is last week we had eight Fed officials. Six voting members. We had the ECB raise rates by 75 basis points, and Bank of Canada raised uh, interest rates by 75 basis points. Uh, but equities and risk assets rallied. Uh, that's certainly not the case today. So, you know, we, we talked about maybe peak hawkishness last week. It doesn't look like we're there, uh, given this report now. So, uh, maybe we can skip ahead and, and talk a little bit more about what we're seeing on the inflation front, but then importantly, get into what the Fed's reaction function is going to be after today. Uh, so piggybacking on on what you just said, Lawrence, about Fed reaction function, I think what got markets skittish this morning is that, you know, if if we thought that, you know, inflation could come down in August a little more than than what we saw in this headline number, you know, that that the the market it can it can expect the Fed to move past all of its front loading. I think after a report like this morning, that it pretty much cements in the 75 basis point hike that's going to happen in the uh in the next meeting upcoming. And so, you know, that that's I think that's probably the frustration right now. The market's saying, okay, we know about the front loading. We know that the Fed's going to be uh, you know, trying to keep their uh inflation fighting hats on and they're committed to that, but eventually downshifting to 50 and 25 basis point hikes. Uh, at this point, they're still going to be keeping with that 75 basis point hike. So looking at this graph, you know, this this basically just says, well, what parts of inflation are demand driven and what parts are supply driven? The Fed can't do anything about the supply driven components, only the demand driven components. The blue portion is the supply driven component. And so a little bit hamstrung uh, and and a little bit frustrating because you'd think and this we and we've talked about this. It's you know it's nothing new here. We're talking about hey once supply chains improve, bottlenecks kind of clear up. We expect inflation to start easing. Uh, we've been saying that, and unfortunately, it, it when you read this August CPI report, it's as if 
improved supply chains haven't really mattered quite yet. And, it, and if you wanted to take the more positive spin out of that, you might say, well, give it some time and it'll take a little bit of a lag time between improved supply chains and actual easing consumer prices. But at this point, we're not quite there yet in seeing the fact, the positive impact of improved supply chains on the inflation, inflation metrics. Yeah, and to your point, we have seen those supply chain metrics improve. Uh, the Fed uh, uh post their their metrics. I think it's the the first couple of days of, of the month, but um, you know we have seen some of those those metrics improve. But yeah, to your point, it just hasn't shown up in the the data just yet. So, um, you know, we do think that the Fed is is again to your point is going to continue to hike rates despite the fact that their rate hikes can only really impact half the inflation rates that we're seeing currently. So as it relates to, to central banks, um, we're seeing a pretty aggressive uh, monetary response globally, uh, given the high inflation pressures that we're seeing across the world. Uh, there's 40 central banks now that have increased interest rates by 75 basis points, again, including the ECB last week and the Bank of Canada again last week. And it sounds like uh, the Fed is on track for another 75 basis point rate hike uh, next week. But uh, you know the fact that all these central banks are tightening at the same time Kind of what's our outlook for the impact that this is going to have on economic growth? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Lawrence. By the way, just a quick shout out to one of your blog posts from last week where you uh, highlighted some of the ECB action. Uh, I thought that was a, a great blog post. Uh, if advisors haven't uh, seen that yet, uh, click on our LPL Research uh, website and see last week's uh, ECB note, as well as uh, the most recent blogs for. Um, the CPI report this morning. So, you know, one of the things that I'll say is that it's it's good to see coordinated activity among central banks. So, you know, you typically will see a lot more volatility in FX markets, even in just general flows of capital across borders when you have, you know, half the world tightening and half the world loosening. So in some ways, a coordinated effort is a good thing, you could say. Um, and in this case, you you know, by far, you know, you were seeing fairly coordinated activities across major countries. However, point of this graph is saying, you know, China and Japan are the outliers right now. But but in some ways, it's it's helpful. Uh, this is a global inflationary problem. You know, it was a global pandemic. There was global shutdowns, global reopening. So in, in many ways, the fact that they're coordinating is a good thing. Um, but overall, I would say in some ways, you could say the U.S. central bank is more consistent and more aggressive in its hiking. You know, they were the first ones to start front loading, clearly not offsetting their tightening decisions by providing uh you know stimulus like the ECB it's almost as if you got one hand on the other hand right the ECB is saying let's hike rates but also provide stimulus for countries like Italy uh the the US is is quite hawkish and and uh quite aggressive uh but I think they can handle that because I think our US economy is relatively better off than some of the others. One of the things I'm uh, blogged about just briefly in one little passing comment, uh, Lawrence, to your your point about you know how this inflation report was received. You know when when you think about higher electricity bills in this country, you think about the fact that the year on year growth rates now 
are as high as they were since 1981. Uh, food prices highest since the 70s on a year-over-year growth rate. But it, it's really important to remember, you know, we do not have an energy crisis like Europe does. Uh, and so, hence, the, the U.S. central bank can kind of get away with some of their, their hawkishness at this point. Yeah, the the ECB is in a difficult situation though, uh, given the 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 energy crisis that they're experiencing over there, and and just the fact that they have all these not all these but the the peripheral uh, parts of of Europe are still highly indebted, uh, and you know last time the the ECB embarked on a, a aggressive rate hiking campaign, we had the European debt crisis, so uh, they are much more challenged than we are here. Uh, you know, seventy five basis points is more than likely going to take place next week. The, the terminal Fed funds rate, though, after today's report has increased. You know, markets are expecting a, a, a terminal in, a terminal rate of about 4.25%, up from you know, just under 4% uh, following or right before this, this uh, CPI report. So um, you know, I think that's something important as well to talk about, just given the fact that uh, if this does come to fruition, nearly 400 basis points of increases in one year uh, are going to certainly impact the economy here in the U.S. Uh, and, and remind listeners, what, what's the lag for rate hikes and impacting the the uh, the U.S. economy? Yeah, and on average, you kind of think of like a 12-month lag. You know, it takes some time for things to kind of filter through, you know, the increasing rates. Uh, it's It quickly shows up in borrowing costs, right? Look at where mortgage rates are right now. So, on average, the national average for the 30-year fixed rate mortgage is over 6% right now. So that's yeah, that's going to filter through and start slowing down even more dramatically the slowdown we've already seen in housing. And so, you know, you, you, I think at this point, the implications, Lawrence, of what you just said about, you know, terminal rate above 4%, I think it really starts, you know, changing forecasts for 2024. You know, I think uh, you think about it, you know, we we had we had released our mid-year outlook about uh, turbulence, et cetera, uh, you know, and and, you know, the markets never sleep. So it's time to start thinking about, you know, 2023. And at this point, 2024 is going to be more and more important, especially as inflation continues to kind of stick around a lot longer than anybody had originally planned. Yeah, and and along with with rate hikes, we I mean, oh by the way, that we also have quantitative tightening going on in the background, where the Fed is not uh, as active in in bond markets. You know, we saw that fairly evident yesterday. With they had a, a the Treasury Department had a three year and a ten year auction uh, yesterday, and it wasn't very well received. So without the the Fed participating in these markets, we do expect a lot more volatility in the in the bond market certainly, but also on on the equity side. Uh, and it sounds like on the economic front as well. So uh, I think that the, the main takeaway for, for investors is that, you know, expect a lot more volatility in, in the you know months and, and year ahead, given, you know, the, the withdrawal of liquidity. We don't think it's going to be to the point where uh, it's going to be overly disruptive, uh, but we do think that there is going to be increased volatility over the next 12 months. Yeah, well, you know, just one one extra point here, Lawrence, is that, you know, that this morning we, we got a good read on uh, small businesses Interesting that the most recent read, there's a massive uh, uptick in firms being nervous about finding qualified workers and at the same time, less worried about inflation. So I think that's that's kind of an interesting read to say, you know, from an investment standpoint, think about 
what this means for you know the markets and how how we can you know allocate capital. It seems as as if you know as we if we can keep uh, productivity rates high enough in this country relative to you know, the the major trading partners, there's still going to be a, a slight bias toward uh, U.S. assets being relatively um, more attractive than uh, than European or even uh, you know, Asian, Latin American, et cetera, some of those emerging markets. For sure. And and one last comment before we put a bow on this and move into uh, the, the Phillips curve of all things. Uh, well, you know, it is important that we pointed out with small business optimism ticking higher and, and, and we haven't seen, I mean, we haven't seen inflation expectations unanchored yet either. So either market implied inflation expectations or survey data coming in, uh, all these metrics point to inflation coming down. We just haven't seen it, seen it in the data yet. The data is backward looking, but all the survey data that we're seeing is you know somewhat positive in terms of expectations of falling inflation rates. So hopefully that does come to fruition. Yep, yep. Well, well you think about even like the ISM number. So the, these are real boots on the ground people that are in charge of purchasing, uh, you know, for for numbers of global firms. So these, these people know what's happening. And so when they talk about prices paid for inputs and raw materials going down, that, that, that's believable. It's not. It's not a funny number. Um, so the prices paid components clearly down. Uh, some of the, as I mentioned, the small businesses a little less concerned on inflation relative to where they were just a couple months ago. Uh, and so you know, it, at this point, let's let's uh, watch that September thirtieth PCE deflator number. That's the more uh, comprehensive inflation metric. Uh, that we'll get for uh, the month of August. That that gets released September 30, a little bit after the Fed's uh, next uh, interest rate meeting decision. So, anyway, yeah. So Phillips curve, you uh, you teed me up nicely there, Lawrence. This this is basically just saying, you know, let's let's explain or you know illustrate graphically the relationship between a tight labor market and inflation, the wage price spiral that everyone's talking about right now. Is that going to be a major factor on keeping inflation elevated? And the flip side is, do we have to experience pain in the marketplace, i.e. higher unemployment, in order to get inflation down? And the answer is, it's a little messy. It's not that clear. So you you, th you think about where we are in a post-COVID world, high inflation, low unemployment, it does not fit well for the traditional Phillips curve relationship. And it's possible that that relationship has uh, reset to a whole new regime. And I think that's really important for us to, especially as investors, when they when they read and hear Fed speakers talk about pain and uh, you know slow economic growth in order to really get a handle on inflation. What are the risks there? It's possible that we we will not see a massive uptick in unemployment as much as kind of that old-fashioned Phillips curve might suggest. Yeah, good stuff. You you talk about this in your weekly market commentary, and I certainly wanted to to bring it up because I thought it was a, a great point. Um, but I will say, though, that now that we've talked about the Phillips curve in this podcast, I don't think they're ever going to let you and I do this alone again. Uh, I think <laughs> this was uh, you know, too, too boring of a topic. But anyway, uh, let's talk about what, what to expect ahead. Obviously, today we're, we're 
we're recording this on on Tuesday, September 13th. It was CPI day, but there are additional de- economic data points this week that are important to to look out for as well. Yeah, yeah. So Thursdays is probably the big one uh, for for the markets. I think trying to ascertain how uh, steady the economy is, um, given you know given these headwinds. You know, retail sales comes out, uh, claims come out. Uh, you know, at this point, consumers. Are, are are still spending uh you know they're using uh tapping into credit which is a little bit you know disconcerting using uh some of the uh, you know other ways of of uh you know spending in addition to just you know what they get from their paychecks and i think that's that's probably the biggest thing where we we want to track going into Q4 and going into next year. We think Q3 is going to grow uh, positive. We'll, we'll be over 1%, most likely uh, quarter on quarter annualized for the third quarter. Fourth quarter might not be quite as uh, as aggressive, but it's 2023. What are those recession risks? At this point, you know, it's, it's a coin toss. Um, a little bit uh, higher risk, depending on how aggressive the Fed continues to act even uh, after their September meeting, they meet again in November, December. So we have three more meetings for the rest of this year. And, uh, you know, at this point, the, the economy seems to be holding, but uh, we could have a, a pretty nasty surprise in the retail sales numbers in August. Uh, and so if that happens, I think that'll add a little bit more volatility at this point. But um Industrial production, we didn't, we don't talk about this a ton, but I like looking at that, especially as it relates to autos, auto manufacturing. Inventories on auto dealers are still very low. That's why we had a nasty surprise in new car prices in this latest uh this morning CPI report. And if we can get an uptick in production from auto manufacturers, get a little bit better handle on inventories we could possibly see some moderation even in the new car space, but uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. All right. Good stuff as usual. Uh, so with, with that, we'll wrap it up. Um, thanks Jeff for, for joining. Obviously great insights on a very busy day for you as the inflation report came out today. Uh, thanks Neil for, for making this ready for consumer uh, consumption and everyone else, thanks for, for listening. You know, we'll be back here again next week, same time, same place. Uh, until then, uh, thanks for listening and I hope everyone has a great week. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer 
Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.